I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. Hello, Phil. Mr. Vicente, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, Jack, please. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it, it's crazy because I was actually on here before both of you guys, and I was watching in the group chat of you guys having the technical difficulties, and I'm thinking, oh, I got time to restart my modem too, and then I'm late, as always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm having to use my, my mobile hotspot on my phone just to get the regular signal. Well, mine's been cutting out too, so we're here. It looks like, yeah, it looks like we got it together now. It's good. Absolutely. Well, this is episode 168 of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by Fulvius Apparel. Check it out, fulviusapparel.com, Facebook and Instagram. The fine folks at blackboxcages.com. Check them out as well. Facebook, Instagram. Use code THN at checkout. Save yourself a little bit of money. And then the Puget Sound Pythons, the good folks of the Pacific Northwest. Give them a follow, Facebook and Instagram as well. <clears throat> Jack, do you have headphones, sir, or no? No, I don't. Actually, I'm screaming, uh, I'm screaming this into my uh, hearing aids. Oh, Okay. If you turn down the volume on your computer, would that change your hearing aids? Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm strictly on the phone. I couldn't get in on a computer at all. Okay. I'm, well, I'm wondering if, because if, we're getting a pretty bad echo from Smithy and I speaking, so I didn't know if turning the volume down your phone would affect your actual ability to hear us or not. Uh, I can turn this. Uh, I turn the volume down. I can still hear you. What did that help? It sounds like it did. It sounds okay, like it did. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we got it. Awesome. Time for the 25-minute black box ad. Yes. Okay, blast off. (laughs) Well, what's funny is, unlike some other shows, which there's nothing wrong with this, but unlike some other shows, our sponsor uh, 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 segment, if you will, is completely off the cuff. We have no pre-recorded anything, so it's all all from the Smitty vocal cords as he lights (laughs) his cigar. So, what are we smoking tonight, Smitty? So, Raj dug up a box of these Guardian of the Farms. Um, and he actually... We were talking about the ambering of the cellophane last week. Right. I just threw it away like an idiot. Here it is. Oh, yeah. Look at that. So, you can see the the nice darkening of that cellophane there that is the sign of a well-aged smoke yeah it's not just his shirt shining through in comparison yeah there you go that's a great comparison to a brand new can you hold both of them up at the same time oh yeah Good and age. 
Yeah, he must have really dug this box out of nowhere because it was completely full, unopened, just sitting on the shelf. And I got excited because I love these. Nice. Excellent. <clears throat> what about you? Well, uh, I've been rereading some Hemingway lately, and I was like, you know what? I All my cigars are packed because for those who are unaware, I'm, I'm going to be moving next week. And uh, not far, just cross town. And uh, Hemingway was always an Arturo Fuente guy. So I wound up picking up a Grand Reserve Bellicoso. So nothing crazy, but just a good solid smoke. Hemingway style. Those are very popular. Oh, so this is actually going to be my last show from the tennis courts forever. Right. Forever. No more sirens, no more echoes, no more crazy people walking past me at random. So it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, we're here to talk about some coral snakes and some other odds and ends. Um, we had Jack on THP. It's been like two years now, I think, give or take. Uh, it's been two two or three years. Yeah, yeah. Long, long before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and as always, I mean, there's, there's always more questions that pop up. And I love Fulvius, as I'm sure. I can tell by your shirt. I love your shirt. So, <clears throat> figured. We, we've actually been working on this for a while as far as getting Jack back on here and stuff. So um, let me, where did I put my notes? So, yes, if anyone wants some amazing herp memorabilia, apparel, headwear, whatever you want to call it, check out Fulvius Apparel. And isn't there a, a, a promo code going on right now, Justin? Oh, there is. Free shipping in for the U.S. folks. Use the code SENDIT at checkout. All one word. Nice. Now until the end of the month. Okay. Oh. Hell yeah, brother. Anything and, uh, new update wise? Uh, well, the Gendra wanted to know if my snake room is going to be larger in the new place. Um, and it will not only be larger, um, it's actually like one third larger than what I got right now. Um, <laughs> and it's, I'm going to do this right. It's not a permanent room, it's temporary room until Anna Marie and I can get our own place together. Um, so I don't want to go too crazy setting it up and, and decor and such, but at the same time, it, it's a great excuse to literally gut everything, redo every substrate, every piece of decor. I've got black box cages that are still empty, never had an animal inside them. Those are all going to get set up with backdrops and plants and everything. So, and like, let's be real. When's the last time anyone dusted in between their rack drawers? Like it's got to happen. So uh, actually Wednesday, I'm going to be taking every animal that's in a rack is going to come out, get deli cupped, containered into uh, transport containers, and then the racks are just going to get gutted. I'm going to be checking the heat tape and making sure there's no warping or anything, and then dust, 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 dust. Plus, it'll be the first time in God knows how long the thermostats have been turned off. So let those circuit boards chill out for a hot minute and then reset everything back up. So... I got a lot of work ahead of me, but I'm I'm very excited for it. So. I'm gonna let those fuses cool off, and then when you plug them back in, they're just gonna pop. 
Well, thanks for jinxing me. Thanks. It's good. <laughs> They're cheap. Users are cheap. So, but it's good, man. That's, that's all it is on my front. Um, nothing really new to report here. I, this rhino rat female is going to drop what seems like any minute now. She's been pacing like crazy in and out of the lay box. Um, fully expecting something within the next 24 hours or so. And uh, got the egg box and the incubator ready to go. And that's pretty much it. Nothing good stuff, new. man. No news is good news. That's right. Well, would you like to introduce our fabulous guests? Like, yeah, legit. Absolutely. Um, so, if anybody listened to the THP episode we did a couple of years ago with Jack, um, in terms of like professionals in the herp world, Jack is very high on my list of of people that I like what they're doing and look up to very much. Uh, and so, I'm anxious to talk about some microris and uh, get you know dive a little deeper into into that stuff more so than we did i think the first round um but for anybody that doesn't know you know we can do sort of a i guess a the cliff notes version of, of what you're doing jack and what you're focused on okay well the the focus initially was to uh, as everybody remembers uh pfizer uh, bought wyeth pharmaceutical uh, back in 2017 or 18, Wyeth stopped producing the antivenom. Uh, basically, probably we assume because there was no market, coral snake bites are an orphan disease. And, you know, with less than 100 bites a year, uh, for whatever reason, Wyeth stopped production. So they let that antivenom. And this is a monovalent venom, right? This, this is, well, it's, it's, uh, Yes, it is only made from Microris fulvius. However, it is marketed to uh, be used on Microris tenor, the Texas coral as well. And that's the only two uh, species of coral snakes that it's FDA approved for. Okay. And it, it's a whole IgG product, which means it's, you know, um, it's kind of ugly. It's not purified. Um, and there are a high rate of serum sickness from it, which is uh, you're treatable with steroids or a prednisone type pack, but um, the the formula remained the same. So when when Wyeth stopped making it, the FDA extended the expiration of that product for years. Uh, you know, it, it ran out in 2008, and we're still we were using this old product in 2000 all the way up to 2016. So what happened was they would allocate certain lot numbers and that, that made the antivenom very hard to, uh, to secure. So all of the organizations and your providers at the hospital, they, they don't have access to this antivenom. So then the protocol to treat a coral snake bite was let's wait for symptoms before we use or waste the antivenom. And uh, we found out real fast that that was a mistake and I'll explain that in a little bit. But then as time went on, Pfizer bought Wyeth and Pfizer stepped up to the plate and started to produce a new North American coral snake antivenom. And the, they didn't change the formula. So they didn't have to go through three, four or five years of clinical trials and, and go through all that FDA approval. Uh, they just were able to keep the same formula, go into production, make it, and boom, we have it. And 
that was a good thing as far as it, you know, the, the expeditious and getting it out there. And, and the, the, the good part was now it became readily available. And now all the poison control centers weren't going crazy trying to, um, you know, knock it around and figure out where it was and try to redistribute it, uh, try to locate it. And it was available for any hospital that wanted to stock it. Okay, so, well, now the, the fact that the antivenom is readily available, we, we need, need to relook at how we're going to treat a coral snake bite. Uh, and particularly fulvius, the eastern coral snake is about 2.3 times as toxic as the tenor or the Texas coral snake. And wow, the, venom's no the, the, the venom's different. The venom in the fulvius, it's, it's, a, it's a PLA2, a phospholipid A2, that is sort of the, uh, the takedown uh, toxin, if you will. And it, it is a paralytic toxin. Uh, in the tenor, it's a three-finger toxin. Okay. The three-finger toxin in the tenor binds uh, postsynaptically uh, after the, the synapse. Mm -hmm. And when the antivenom is given, it releases and neutralizes. However, fulvius does not do that. Fulvius toxin, the PLA2, is a presynaptic toxin. It binds at the start of the, the, pre, uh, the synapse. And what happens is once it binds, the antivenom is not going to release it. The only thing that's going to get that synapse back working is cell death and then a period of days to weeks. And during this process, you're on a respirator because your diaphragm wow. has, has been paralyzed. So, so now the importance is, hey, let's not wait for symptoms. Uh, generally speaking with fulvius, the symptoms start in the, in the, in the vulvar paralysis, which is in the head, uh, tosis, uh, <clears throat> droopy eyelids. Uh, excessive salivation, slurring of the speech. Okay, when you see that onset, then the diaphragm paralysis is coming within an hour or two generally. The good thing is you do have time with a coral snake uh, before that happens. You, you, you've got several hours. Of course, that's all dependent on where it bit you. Did it get a good bite? Did you get a decent load or weak load? Uh, and for whatever reason, coral snakes have a very poor delivery system. So most of the bites, they do not get the amount of venom in there that they're capable of, or it'd be a whole different story. So back to the, the process of how do we treat it now? Now the general recommendation is if, if we're sure there's a bite, in other words, if the person saw the snake bite them and they know it was a positive coral snake identification, give the antivenom. Don't wait for symptoms. And that puts a strain on, on the ER doctor and the attending physician because, you know, they're sitting there and that, now they got to rely on this person. And you know, just as well as I do, when people uh, that are not snake people or herpers, they, they have a, a very poor uh, recollection of really what happened. Yeah. And, you know, the size, the, everything can change. So, uh, but at any rate, the antivenom works it works very well on fulvius because it's only made with fulvius venom. So it doesn't really neutralize tenor as well. Um, but fortunately, uh, Dr. Spencer Green, who treats a lot of coral snake bites in Texas, mm -hmm. he very seldom uses antivenom. Uh, he, he can generally manage it with, uh, with just, you know, uh, <clears throat> monitoring and, and, and get them through. Um, so, and when he does use antivenom, he does prefer to use the Costa Rican uh, antivenom, which does neutralize tenor well. It's not FDA approved. So that brings in all kinds of other 
problems. You know, uh, it's it's um, it's it's yeah. Some a lot of doctors are really you, really hesitant to use that kind of stuff, right? Well, you know, you can't blame them because oh, no, um, sure. you know, even if 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 your patient dies, uh, he's not going to sue the doctor, but the patient's family will. And you know, frankly, a, a lot of good doctors will use it. They'll do it no matter what. They'll use it if it's expired. Um, they'll they'll use it. Um, you know. Uh, even if it's not FDA approved, uh, if they have it. And, and that is the case with most of the exotic bites. I mean, none of that stuff's approved. And if, if, if the person with comes in with the antivenom doesn't have an IND, which is a, uh, it's the FDA saying, okay, you can use this. The, and then the doctor can use it with no liability. And most of the people don't have that. Well, it's, it's a mess, but back to the coral snake deal. Um, it's, it's very toxic. Um, the yields of these snakes has been really, um, it's, it's been, been out of whack a little bit. And what we've done here is <clears throat> agrotoxin started to produce with two other laboratories here in central Florida. Uh, George Van Horn was working with Pfizer and he got the contract to produce a uh, hundred grams of, of Eastern coral snake venom for this project. Uh, and he got with me and Carl Barden. Uh, Carl uh, has Reptile Discovery Center, Medtox in, in Deland. And the three of us had to pool uh, our collections. We keep them in three separate locations because we needed, we thought we needed 500 snakes to start. So this was our, this was our focus. And we, uh, we've got it now to where if we can maintain 300, approximately 100 in each location, we can, we can produce what they need. Um, it takes a lot of extractions to uh, to produce enough coral snake uh, to immunize the horses, uh, the, you know, the horse colony that they're doing. So that was the focus. Now, you know, so so anyway, going through all this, just producing the venom became a trick uh, because it's small amounts, and you got to figure out, you know, how not to waste it. You can't over rinse it. You can't. Um, there, there's, we developed all little procedures when you're dealing with small snakes, small yield to not waste or lose any. And, and that, that was working well. And then we started losing the snakes and, uh, the snakes don't eat in captivity. Well, um, you, you, I've, I've gotten tenor to eat. I've, there's a young gentleman, um, that's really having good luck with tenor uh, eating even scented mice and it's snakes, <clears throat> fulvius coral snakes. I have, I've not been able uh, to get them to eat mice, uh, they will eat very well. If you know, if you got rat snakes, ringnecks, etc., and that's fine if you're keeping one or two. But if you're going to keep a hundred, I would literally need, uh, you know, three, probably three hundred snakes a month to feed these snakes. And now you've added a lot of man hours, and you've added a lot of uh, a lot of time to do that. The way we focus now is we capture the snake, we extract the venom, we tube it, and we put it back in. So over the period of two years, we, we had to develop a formula that would allow them to gain weight, but not have to be fed every week or two because they have a high metabolism. And, you know, I don't care how careful you are, the putting the tube down the esophagus stresses the snake. You can tear the esophagus if you go too fast. If you go too deep, you have issues. If you don't go deep enough, you have regurgitation. Uh, the formula we use is the main ingredient is Gerber number two baby food, uh, chicken and gravy. And we, we, we've added other ingredients to that to up the calories um, and, and uh, get some better nutrients to where 
I can do these snakes now every 21 days, every three weeks, I can feed these snakes and extract. Wow. They get, and they maintain or gain weight um, and they breed uh, and they do well. And most of the collection I have now is from 2012. When, when I started doing this new formula, everything just started living. Um, so that, that was a good thing. We learned a lot from now. Uh, I've done some other snakes in here, um, some Mexican snakes and a, a couple of tenor. And they, they do well on the formula too. Uh, I've had some small rattlesnakes and uh, oddball things that were having feeding issues and they do well on the formula to get them going, but then you get them on a natural diet. So, right. uh, so while we're going through this and we, we conquered uh, how to keep them alive and because they're hard to get, you can't just uh, call a breeder up and say, Hey, I, I want to buy a coral snakes or uh, somebody that has a license and is you know, a hunter or a collector uh, they will catch them for you if they happen upon them, but nobody's going to go out and start, you know, turning the dirt to hunt for coral snakes. You know, they're, yeah. they're a sub, subterranean type guy. And you know, you just, that. Oh, nobody would do it. So uh, anyway. Or, or people um, can't get it done. <laughs> they can't like get the, it done. Like two of the guys on the screen. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, though, we, we rely on the people uh, around us and word of mouth. And, and um, I really have to uh, commend the, both the uh, the private herb folks that bring us our snakes and the commercial guys that do too. Uh, and then we get a lot of calls and we go out and get them. You know, I can't tell uh, somebody that calls me that has a coral snake, I can't say put it in a bucket and catch it right. because uh, Phil, as you know, in Florida, that's against the law. And that's a, that's a whole nother thing. We can oh do yeah. Too. So, so uh, th that's an issue, but uh, the, the, the private sector, both both private individuals, collectors, and commercial collectors, have been a, a great help to, uh, to to the venom folks that uh, that need their help, and uh, they're under the gun right now. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But back to the project. So while we're going through all of this, um, we got into a deal with Florida State, and they wanted to do a, a geographic venom study on a venom. Because uh, you'll hear that there's venom variations geographically. In other words, a rattlesnake in one part of the state um, may have a different, a few different uh, proteins or toxins in it than the one in the south part of the state, and we call that, uh, you know, a geographical variation. So um, I worked with Rokita, Darren Rokita, uh, Dr. Rokita's lab in, in FSU. They had a great program going. And he had quite a few snakes from around his area. And at that point, I needed a lot of snakes. And he said, hey, we'll, we'll get these snakes for you for your venom project. And maybe you can get venom samples because I had coral snakes from 28 counties in Florida. And so wow. we went through that. And they wrote a terrific paper. Coral snake venom is the same everywhere you go. It's, it's, uh, there's no geographic variation with coral snake. Um, so, so it's stable. However, what about from uh, neonate to adult? Okay. However, uh, working with Dr. Bill Hayes and Loma Linda, who does a lot of ontogenetic studies, which is, you know, the juvenile neonate to adult venom, he wanted to study uh, to see if there was an ontogenetic shift in the coral snake. So here's what, what I did. Uh, I, I bred a couple. And uh, I put two giant coral snakes together, like 33 and 34 inches. And I thought, boy, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a good gene pool. Uh, generally, it's like, you know, uh, th three to six, three to eight eggs uh, that you'll get on the average. 
And I'm thinking, this is wonderful. Well, that female laid 18 eggs, which I, I do believe. Wow. So instead wow. of getting a handful of giant uh, coral snakes, I get 18 little miniatures <laughs> that come out of these uh, mother and father. So I was able to get the parents' venom uh, collected for the study. And then we went ahead and they were so small that it took all of them. Uh, I took 10 out of the 18, set them aside, and we're going to extract from these 10. <clears throat> um, and we'll get venom, you know, every quarter for a year. So that's what we did. We, we got, we, we, and we've looked at that. He said, you know, if we could carry this a step further and for year two, let, let's get venom from them individually. And so that's where we're at now. We, uh, we, we've took four out of that group of 10 and set them aside. And every quarter I've collected venom from each of those four individually. And come September, we will, uh, that will be the end of their two year. And then he'll be able to take all of these samples and, and uh, see if there's a, an ontogenetic shift. And we'll be able to study that shift from out of the egg all the way up to the two year mark. And we think there is. We think there is. Yeah, I mean, knowing how tiny they are out of the egg, because they are ridiculously small. Yeah. Like, you got to wonder. I mean, they must be eating, like, neonate oh. antilla or, like, <laughs> something tiny. They're, they're about seven inches out of the egg. They weigh four grams. They're capable of delivering one-third of a gram, uh, one-third of a milligram. Venom, one third of a milligram, 0.33 uh, wow. milligrams of venom on a bite. Well, let me tell you, um, I've had before, and I've kept them together. You know, when they were born, and uh, I'd keep them two, three weeks, and then you know, I, I would generally let them go, try to put them back in the county they came from, because I had no interest in raising them. It's it's a lot of work. Well, here, here I am. I got to raise these guys. And uh, so while we had this group being born, I had two other groups being born and I'm overrun with them. So I was keeping like five or six in, in, a, in a, a five gallon aquariums. And uh, on week three, they're still pretty fat and they're still pretty good. And they got a lot of egg yolk. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start the feeding process here. And I go in there and <clears throat> half of the coral snakes are gone. They were eating each other. And I've got some pictures of the seven inch coral snake eating another seven inch coral snake with wow. two inches hanging out of its mouth for a couple of days until it digested it and then took the rest down. Wow. So, so they, 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 I imagine in the wild, they will, they got a high metabolism. They eat a lot of snakes. Now we have tried sending everything. I've tried earthworms. I've tried ant larvae. I've tried lizard tails. I did have some luck with animal tails on a couple of them, but, but it's sporadic. Could not get the babies to eat anything. So um, anyway, we decided that the only way we can make them guys live is to get a very small catheter. Well, now the formula is too thick. You got to thin it and it just a whole nother host of problems. Come in. But we cracked, we cracked a code. And we were able to feed these guys. I had to feed those every 10 days for a year wow. because that they, they, they just, they go through it, but, but I got a good growth rate records. Um, and, and while we're doing this and we're looking at venom variants, I'm thinking this is a perfect opportunity to study the yields. And so out of hundreds and hundreds of probably five to 600 extractions, what we found was the seven inches 
uh, at birth out of the egg can give a third of a milligram. Uh, a 16 inch snake at about maybe year 12, uh, one year to 14 months, they can give two and a half milligrams. Uh, a subadult, which we call a 20 to 24 inch range, about 43 grams of weight, they can give eight and a half milligrams. And the average adult 30 plus uh, 150 gram snake can give 22 milligrams in a bite. Wow. Now, 20, 22 milligrams is a tremendous amount of coral snake venom mm -hmm. because it, you know, while we can't, we don't really know what a lethal dose is because they, they've not done that with humans. You know, they go by the LD50, but it's, it's assumed by, by the best we can with the data that two to four milligrams could be a lethal dose. Wow. Uh, so we could get you in a paralytic condition. Mm -hmm. So here, here you got these adults given 22, and then you look at the antivenom, it, one vial will neutralize two milligrams. So, you know, 22 uh, grams divided by two, you know, you need 11, uh, 11 plus vials of antivenom for that big of a bite. Wow. So, you know, the, the, the loading dose is now five vials, pretty much the poison control center. If you're going to give antivenom, give five and then monitor. And for whatever reason, uh, and I can't explain it other than uh, the short fangs and the poor delivery. And, uh, you know, when people get bit, there's every, there's all kinds of stuff involved. Even if they step on it, the snake could have bitten something else on the way to bite them. Right. Uh, when they're, it could have, they never, ever get the full dose. Yeah. Uh, very, very seldom, uh, you know, uh, very, very seldom you'll hear of somebody going on a respirator and you don't hardly don't hear that anymore with the antivenom. So what I just did about a month ago, I'm thinking, well, you know what? I, I put these yield, this yield data out to the poison control centers in Florida so they could just kind of have an idea of what to expect worst case. And you always get this question, you know, does a snake ever run out of venom? What would happen if the snake bit me again? And, you know, it's a salivary gland. So, uh, you know, it's never going to run dry, but it's definitely going to be a lessened volume. So what I did is I took 50 uh, snakes and I did 50 extractions from these 50 snakes. And it yielded the traditional about 2.5, 2.6 milliliters of venom, which is very typical, nothing out of the ordinary. And then I went right back on the same day within, you know, hours and did them all again with a second bite. And this is no uh, manual uh, pressure on the glands. This is just a normal let them bite. And when they bite the first time, they bite, they bite hard. You can see the glands, you know, pressing, uh, the muscles pressing down, pressing down on the glands. Uh, and you can see, wow, you know, they, they hang on and they, and they bite. Well, when they come back uh, on the second bite, uh, it's about 30%. It's about, you get another 30% on wow. the second bite so uh, that that's that's considerable and yeah. uh so anyway that was just an interesting experiment so <clears throat> going back to that the whole purpose of uh, of the project was to produce the venom for the anti-venom but we we took on these side things with, with uh some, some good research folks uh and we've been able to help them uh with, with that and we've we've learned a lot about the little guys we've learned a lot about their metabolism we've learned a lot about uh, illnesses they get, they're, they're pretty tough. Uh, I've had a couple with some parasites, uh, cleaned them up uh, real easy uh, with Panicure. Um, what were the parasites? Ever... Pardon? 
what what were the parasites? Uh, m- mostly, um, they were there were some lungworms in them, and uh, you know that that at first I thought, oh boy, I got crypto, and uh, because of, you know there were there was symptom of that, uh, and I've tested them all. I've never had crypto. Uh, I've, I've never had any virus, uh, no, you know, paramixo or sunshine or anything like that. Uh, <clears throat> never had them come in with ticks out of probably, well, out of 10, out of 15 years, I've had one coral snake come in with one tick out of the wild. Hmm. So, wow. uh, yeah, that, that was an unusual, and it was a big tick and it was, you know, hung. Um, we, we, we've had quite a few come in out of uh, golf courses that didn't make it and uh, uh, you know, looking upon uh, opening them up and looking, they, most of their problems were liver. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm kind of assuming it was from probably a lot of the insecticides that they use, you know, in the golf courses and stuff. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so, so <clears throat> but generally they're a tough little critter. But let me tell you, you can really puncture the esophagus and, uh, you know, going down real easy if you're not careful. And before you know it, you, you're, you're in a lung. Uh, yeah. And now, now you're pumping food into the lung. So uh, you just got to take your time. Tedious little thing. N- nothing is tedious is, is, uh, is doing spiders or scorpions or, yeah. or uh, anything yeah. like that. But, uh, but, but tedious. Let, let me ask on, on going back to the, the lungworms, um, were they a native? Do you, do you know if they were a native species? I don't know because I don't use a, I use a state lab here and while they're good, they're not really ripped reptile oriented. Uh, it's just so cost prohibitive to send it up to Gainesville. That's yeah. where you, if I had a real major problem and I really want to know that that's who I would send it to. Uh, but the, these folks here, you know, they can do histology and then they can do parasites. They can do blood work. Uh, they'll do uh, necropsy. Uh, they're pretty good at necropsy. Uh, but when it, they send all their viral stuff out, they don't even do the viral stuff there because they're designed. They're, they're designed for uh, agriculture. They're designed for horses, cows, sheep, sure. goats, and that type of thing. But they've been great to work with, um, and they get the results back really, really quick. Excellent. Now, there, I, I have encountered one bacteria that I really fought with. Uh, actually, these are with some uh, uh, the Sonoran and uh, Arizona snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, it's a tough one. Uh, I've been using metronidazole on it. Um, it's it's the same bacteria that that uh, women get when they have like abortions. They get that shock syndrome. Hmm. Okay. It's clostridium. It's a clostridium bacteria. You're familiar with C diff? Yeah. Clostridium. Mm-hmm. Di- okay. This is not C diff. It's clostridium sordelli, and it has been renamed Payen clostridium. Uh, sword ally if in a reptile world <clears throat> and i have fought that one uh this lab's good at finding it it is a normal bacteria but for some reason it gets way high in counts like really overrun and the symptoms is regurgitation regurgitation um and, and i can tell you uh, the coral snakes never get that um, and I, I even had a case where I had moved some, some around and I wanted to see if how contagious it was and, and, and put the coral snakes in the same uh, aquariums that I had some snakes in there to just see if they, and in six months, they never caught it. So I, wow. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, and, um, 
and you've talked to most vets and I can't find out too many people that have had much experience with it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's and, classic elapid, you know, strong elapid immune systems, kind of like how yeah. people that have a lot of African stuff, you know, the Cobras are the only thing living because they could take whatever went through the room, so to speak. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I know they get crypto. Um, I've read accounts on crypto uh, and coming right out of the wild with it. But uh, and that's pretty much a death sentence in our business. Uh, I know yeah. there's a treatment for it, but it doesn't work well. And uh, I, there's some being some work being done uh, out at uh, in Kingsland at, uh, at an institute out there. They're working on some crypto stuff now and I hope, hope they may come up with something. I don't know. Yeah, that crypto, man, that's a that's a bulletproof little Ooh. microorganism there is crazy Man, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. telling you, it really is uh if i so, can so, go ahead if, if i can jump back real quick going back to the the neonates you were raising up um eventually at some point tonight i want to kind of talk about some of the husbandry and, and maybe even some naturalistic stuff because i know a lot of our listeners want to know as much as i do on that topic but was there ever a, a thought or maybe an idea to do like frozen thawed neonate colubrids or some feeder snakes, if you will, you know, our, our good friend, Henry, he's in the group chat. He says, hello, by the way. Um, uh, he's, he's keeps a lot of Ophiophagus snakes and oh, he's yeah. got freezers full of baby snakes, you know, and we've gotten him and I have had a lot of success with some of the South American stuff, getting it to tong feed a frozen thawed corn or, or a stillborn king snake or what have you. Um, I didn't know if you tried anything like that with some of the neonate fulvius. The, the problem with the neonate fulvius is it's six or seven inches long and it weighs four grams. So what I, what I got to get for that is uh, probably neonate. Uh, ring necks yeah uh, be, because even a neonate rat snake is too big for yeah. the neonate coral now you know I, I wish i could find somebody that was breeding these blind snakes because uh you know i think th those uh, would be the, the ticket uh once they get up to that 12 13 inch uh, then then you actually what you could do then um is you could you could probably, you know, feed them half of a juvenile corn. Uh, the, the diameter is not going to be the issue. It's mostly the weight. And I, I tell you, um, I think you could scent or you could make snake fillets and cut them to size, and you could probably get the neonates on that. Um, and so if somebody wants to keep a neonate and, and do that, it, it, I think it's very doable and worth trying. I'd love to hear it. But with what we had to do and because we already had the formula, uh, we weren't, we didn't go into that experimental hub husbandry stage, but there's, sure. there's something that, that, that could be done. Uh, if I, if I, I've got some now that are gravid um, and I, I may give that a whirl now because I'm, I, I can afford to experiment and if it doesn't work out, I'm okay. I, I could not afford to lose these other ones because it would have stopped the project on, on right. that uh, ontogenetic study. And, you know, everybody, I've kept them in Aspen. I've kept them, uh, my humidity in, in a coral snake room, I, I never let it go below 55%. 70% is optimum, is, is better. They shed real, they shed much better like that. Um, you know, out of 75 snakes at 55, 60%, maybe two or three times a month, I'll have one that I'll have to soak uh, overnight, you know, in sphagnum moss wet. 
but for the most part, they do good. We find them here. They love they love the area around lake beds where it's moist, you know, and it's and I think because there's a lot of blind snakes and stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there we're also you can go down a road and catch them in the sandy pines. I mean, uh, they come from all sorts of of, uh, of areas here, um, and they do well. And I'll tell you, Palm Beach, which is where I've gotten a lot a lot of snakes out of, they are the prettiest. Um, they just got a beautiful color to them. Uh, they're uh, uh, we've, are you familiar? I know you are. You live down there, don't you, Phil? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in Southern Palm Beach. Okay, Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. Remember that oh, yeah. place? It's still yeah, there. When, 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 yeah, when David was running that, uh, he really helped me out. I was probably getting five or six corals a month from him that people wow. were bringing in. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That 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 really got us going good. Well, I, I've been here 23 years, and I've yet to yeah. find one on my own. <laughs> really no yeah yeah i probably two or three times a year i get a phone call saying hey is this what i think it is you want to come get it and sure as yeah. hell somebody got one yeah. in a bucket and uh, yeah. i usually take it and try and keep it alive and we all know the tragic state of that um yeah, yeah. but i've never found one on my own wow wow yeah well they're easy to keep and they're easy to breed uh my, I, I run the lab at 84 degrees ambient, you know, pretty much all year, um, except in the winter months for a couple months, I, I'll, I'll let it, I'll let the ambient go down to 60, 65. Um, and there's a little bit of reduction in venom production for those couple, but that's okay. I think it's good for the animals to do a little cycle like that. Uh, but sure. I, I tried a couple of years at 86 and 87 degrees. That was too hot. Okay. Uh, that that was actually too hot for the snake. Uh, uh, I tell you, at 84 degrees ambient temperature, with a 65% humidity range, they just they they do well. I, I will tell you this: when I was keeping a few and feeding them corns, because I you know I could get the corns and freeze them. I mean that you thaw them out and they'd eat them. They didn't do as well. After about two years, the they just it was hard to keep weight on them with corn snakes. Yeah. And they were eating two and three corn snakes a month. I mean, it's not like you just feed, you know. Uh, so I don't know if it wasn't enough. Um, we, we did fecals on those guys and there was no problem uh, with that. So uh, I don't know. And I've had other people that have gotten them and bigger ones, 24, 30 inches, they keep them. They're doing fine. And then in about a year, year and a half, they die. Wow, um, and I'm not been able to get them and do a necropsy. I mean, a necropsy on that snake at at, at, at labs is two hundred and twenty bucks. Wow, wow. Yeah. Do you think that the the corn snake diet is not enough in terms of frequency from a high metabol from a high metabolism? I don't know. Um, I think there's something with a high metabolism that that's happening here. Yeah. Uh, I had one a friend uh, that had a really big one. Almost as big as the one I got. It was over 40 inches. And that thing did well for a couple of years. It ate and it maintained weight and boom, dead. Just died on it. Don't know why. Wow. I, I do have one that's 49. Uh, I, wow. I can get him 48 and a half without stretching him. I really think he'll go 49. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, to get him in the record book at the at, uh, at University of Florida, if you're in Gainesville, he's got to die. Uh, and then I can take it up there. And um, they told me if I could get some type of picture 
where they can measure by the pixels that I might be able to enter it uh, that way, but I've yet to find anybody with that type of uh, camera set up. Well, hopefully it's a long time before you do that. <laughs> yeah, but I tell you, she's been here since 2011, and she was a, she was 41 when I got her. Wow. Um, and so she's old, man. Uh, I, I have no idea how old that snake is, but I, uh, I would say she could be 15-plus years old. Excellent. Absolutely That's awesome. That's what's so awesome about this species is that it's, you know, it's right here in our own backyard, or at least us here in the, you know, the southeast and – there's so much we don't know about them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's one of the reasons. That's one of my. It, it is probably my favorite venomous species that we have here. You know, bar none. Uh, and it's for that reason. Like we see them all the time. There's all this sort of lore and and mysticism about them. I guess. And yeah, you know what? They're a really misunderstood little snake. They are the gentlest lapid you could come across. Um, I mean, I don't recommend this, but they don't want to bite you. They absolutely do not want to bite you, and you have got to work hard to get bitten by a coral snake. Now, if you step on one barefoot or with a flip-flop or you restrain it or you pinch it, okay, you're going to get bitten. But um, just generally speaking, that uh, they don't ever strike. You know, they'll go into their little flipping around when they get excited, and if you just back off and leave them alone for a little bit and then go back and move or whatever you're going to do, they'll calm down. Um, they're really a um, – they're really a great little animal as far as uh, being inoffensive. Uh, so, but, you know, animals grab them, dogs, cats. Uh, strangely enough, I've only seen about a dozen coral snake bites on dogs and cats. And on every one of those bites that I was involved with, the first thing we saw was back leg paralysis first. Mm. Not, not diaphragm. Not, nothing that I could see, you know, with a bull bar of paralysis with any type of uh, eyelids uh, activity, but one, they start dragging one leg and then all of a sudden they drag two legs. So here, here are the animals, the rear ends paralyzed. And then once it hits the diaphragm, it's too late. But, but also some of those we got in and did, did get antivenom and, and they made it. Uh, and that's another thing. The cost of the antivenom is ridiculously expensive. The Wyeth, uh, the Pfizer Wyeth right now is, is, is selling to uh, the hospital uh, organizations for 7000 plus a month. So uh, working with, wow. uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, it, it was 5500 when it started, but it's like everything and, else. And know? that's to the uh, hospital. That's not to us. That's not to us. Hospitals will mark that up two or three times. I mean, going wow. up to 15, 20 a vial on, on a bill is not uh, is not out of the question. Wow. They don't ever get paid that, but, you know, that's the way they bill it. Um, but Venom Vet, who makes a North American uh, Crotalidae, you know, pit viper anti-venom, uh, Walter Escobar is working with some folks in Costa Rica. And uh, we donated a little bit of venom for them to get started on researching uh, how they could. They are going to try to produce a North American veterinary coral snake antivenom. And they have filed for USDA uh, approval as we speak. And uh, hopefully in July or August, uh, they may get something back on that. So uh, that would put that would put that antivenom in the veterinary world at a reasonable rate, I think. And that's, that's, that's interesting. Hope, you that's mentioned that. Um, 
and forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong or correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a, a, a friend whose wife is a vet and she was telling me that, you know, Crofab for humans cost is what, 1500, two grand. And then the hospital charges more. Right. But Crofab for a pet, a dog or a cat is like 300 bucks. Well, you can't Crofab's not made for a pet. So, okay. Cause she what, showed me your... the invoices from her vet clinic and it's like the full scientific name of Crofab. Right. And it's like 300 us dollars. <laughs> okay. Here, here's what, here's what we perceive that's going on there. They're getting expired Crofab. And so they're selling it at, at a rate that's reasonable. However, they're making people sign releases. Uh, it's okay. just like right now you can get some of the old Wyeth that's, 10 years expired and use it for a veterinary and some vets can get that and you have to sign a release. Antivenom works forever. If it's, if it's been kept reasonably cool and in a good spot, we have used antivenom on people 15 and 20 years old uh, right. for some African stuff or mamba and it worked fine. And it was nasty. It was so bad when you shook it up, you could see all kinds of particles floating around it. Mm. You know, oh, it was, nice. but, but it worked. It still had um, enormous amount of, neutralization ability in it so the, the, this crofab you're seeing to be used like that uh, is going to be very effective um, i don't know where that sits in the realm of fda versus usda or what right, right. But, uh, but but yeah it's uh people think that you can't use uh human antivenoms on animals which you know that's absolutely not true I will tell you an interesting thing uh, back to, uh, uh, you know, while we've done a lot of work with uh, geographic variation, we also have done that with water moxins and diamond vaps. And, you know, the diamond vap, the eastern diamond vap here in Florida is very geographically variant. <clears throat> Basically, north of the Suwannee River, it has a small basic peptide, a myotoxin in it uh, that's pretty rough. Uh, and BTG makes a good effort to include that venom from the northern range into their process. So that's covered. But mm -hmm. we've been looking at over on the west coast of Florida uh, in uh, north of Crystal River uh, and in Levy County, up to Levy County. And we've had uh, three water moxin bites there in the last couple of years where uh, we were having a lot of trouble getting the swelling under control. Really? There were mild bites. Yeah, mild bites. And, um, they, they all ended up good. Uh, so we're, we're now looking at that venom from that county to see if there's an ontogenetic variant in these smaller snakes. And uh, let me tell you, I think you've all heard about getting bitten by a rattlesnake or a water moxon here or pygmy that there's all kinds of blood, blood thinning problems. It's called uh, thrombocytopenia where the platelets right. drop low, uh, recurrent coagulopathy, the antivenom's given, it gets it under control. And then if they don't give enough antivenom to get initial uh, control of the bite, it will come back. Well, while you're going through all of these processes, it's the problem has always been the blood's too thin. The blood's too thin. It's dangerously thin. You're going to bleed out. Uh, that's always been the focus. Well, what, what we saw with a small water moxin bite uh, happened to a friend, actually, a friend's son is his, his uh, platelets never got to a dangerous low. His labs were just a little bit off and he, he got enough antivenom and he swelled and he was in pain. Uh, and of course the best thing you can do for a bite 
uh, from a Cortana day here is elevated. I mean, if, I mean elevated up, not 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 a few inches, like 45 degrees. <clears throat> so they elevated it. Uh, however, unbeknownst to anybody, they're keeping the kid in bed and they're not letting him get up and move around. Uh, so going through this period of a mild bite, when normally this venom is like taking a blood thinner. He right. didn't have that issue. He developed a damn pulmonary embolism and all. Oh, ended up in wow. ICU. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that's a rarity, but that's something that, uh, you know, you might want to be, keep that in the forefront of your mind. If you know of anybody get bit and it's a mild bite and they're doing okay. Uh, if you're on a hand, you know, if it's a hand, you, you get up to the bathroom and move around. But if it's a foot and you can't put pressure on it, even if you just get up on crutches and move three or four times a day, move around. Don't don't sit in that bed for three or four days without getting out. Uh, otherwise, that could be a an unusual circumstance, unusual condition that can set in. Well, yeah. what's the what's the concept behind having it raised like that instead of the, the concept behind raising it is uh, you, you want to get venom venom will pool in in a location right and it can. It, you know, the, the you've got the antivenom in your system, and of course your kidneys is, is remove or removing it, and they remove crofab really fast because it's a small, uh, you know, it's a it's a small molecule, it's a small uh, antibody compared to the other ones. So you can put the antivenom in, and you can renal system you can urinate it out before this venom is is making its way and getting absorbed and getting circulated so by by keeping it elevated two things that venom's moving uh where it should be so it can meet up with the antivenom get neutralized and it the and and elevation reduces the swelling drastically okay and you, you know and and all of that plus moving the venom out and getting it neutralized now your local necrosis and your local damage is less it's just uh i, I really believe in in, in elevation well, I know that's something Spencer Green has really pushed the yes. last handful of years, seeing his, yeah, his responses in the bite, the snake bite groups and stuff like that. Yeah, Sp Spencer's great. I mean, uh, he's treated hundreds and hundreds of uh, bites, uh, a, lo a, lo a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, war uh, not water mocks, a copperhead. Copperhead mm -hmm. seems to be the, the main Texas biter out there. And, and he gets other stuff too. He gets corals and he gets rattlesnakes, but a lot of copperheads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I recently, over the past couple of years, saw someone in East uh, in East Africa that had a puff adder bite where they were told, you know, don't wrap it. You'll get compartmental syndrome, blah, 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 blah. And that pooling took effect and it wound up making independent blisters of necrosis where uh, the bite side itself was perfectly fine. But, you know, yeah. a, a little patch right here. Oh, uh, yeah. Just because yeah. they're just sitting there with their arm not moving and it just settles. So that makes a ton of sense what you're saying, sir. Yeah. Yeah. We're very fortunate here in the United States. Some of these other countries, they're, uh, they got they got their hands full. They can't get the antivenom. When they do, they can't get it to the people. Um, you know, there's a new oral and intravenous uh, drug being looked at, Varus Plaidib. Have you heard about that? Mm -mm. It, it's a PLA2 inhibitor. And all venoms have PL, PLA2 zone. Is this the uh, zinc-based one? Pardon? Is this the zinc-based one? No, it's not zinc-based. Okay. No, okay. Th this is this drug was made uh, and was FDA approved for a, another disease, a rare disease, 25 years ago. And Matt Lewin, Dr. Matt Lewin with Ophorex, uh, 
and uh, has has come along and he is uh, redeploying this as a snake bite, uh, not a cure, uh, not an antivenom replacement. But what it can do is you can carry it with you. It's inexpensive and you can take it in the middle of nowhere and it can give you maybe a day or two to get in with with a really bad mamba bite or pup bite at, wow. to get the antivenom. And, and uh, the, what it's in phase two clinical trials right now. And uh, I guess what they're trying to really figure out is how many hours is, mm -hmm. will this be effective? Will it be effective 10, 12, 20, 30, 40? When I first heard about it, uh, I was excited because I think, wow, you get a bit by a coral snake, you pop two of these, you're good. But I didn't realize that while it, it stops that, PLA2, we talked about that presynaptic from binding and shutting down your diaphragm. It, 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 it stays in there. It doesn't neutralize it. It just makes it where it can't do its job. But after a period of hours, then it can do its job. So by then you have to have antivenom. So it's not an antivenom replacement. It's, it's, a, it's an addition to it. And it can, it, it'll save hundreds of thousands of people in a Asia and Africa. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, this this is going to be uh, this is going to be the most monumental thing I think that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that make a huge difference because you you know yeah. you hear about these third world countries where they're you know hours and miles away from right anything right. remotely close to modern medicine, you know. And it's I know yeah. there's been stories of people that hadn't even made it, you know, okay. people dying on the backs of bikes on their way to the you know the hospital. And if you have yeah, something that yeah. can buy them more time like that, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Did you want to talk anything about the key, uh, the King Cobra Conservancy? Absolutely. <clears throat> well, the KCC, uh, I think most people are familiar with it now. It's, it's a small organization which was started uh, by Nia Haas, which is Bill Haas' daughter. And <clears throat> the whole purpose of it was to, uh, to bring awareness uh, and try to save the king because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big animal and it's, uh, we don't want it. We don't want to see it go extinct. So uh, she put together a bunch of alumni, uh, myself, uh, Ron Whitaker, Joe Wazalewski, uh, George Van Horn, uh, that worked at the Serpentarium. Uh, and her sister Shanti is involved and her cousin Michelle Haas is involved and her granddaughter Tara. Uh, and so we all got together to form this group, and it's a 501c3. It's a nonprofit corp. And the whole purpose of it is to see what we can do to help the king. So, of course, Ram, who lives over there, has been a great asset for us. And we have funded a bunch of projects over there to basically do this, to relocate them and educate the people in, in the townships and the little villages so they don't kill them and chop them up. Very few people get bitten by king cobras. Very few. It's, it's another misunderstood animal. It will not try to bite you. If you leave it alone, it'll go away. <clears throat> and then we equip them with education material. <clears throat> We've done radio tracking where we put transmitters in them. Uh, so we do all that through the Madras Croc Bank. And now we're working with Madras is doing some snake bite initiatives because now we're seeing that the there's geographic variation with the king cobra between India and Thailand and China. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, there's a paper out the king cobra has now been split up into four separate species. So, um, so the venom's different too. But anyway, um, 
you know, we, we, we struggle to, uh, to make ends meet. We're probably one of the few organizations that 98% of the money goes where it needs to. Uh, we don't pay for anything other than uh, expenses that it costs to bare minimum run an operation. Nobody gets paid for their time. It's all volunteer. Um, and it's on Facebook. Uh, you can, anybody wants to look at it and learn about Kings and seeing videos and seeing the projects, uh, www.thekingcobra.org. Uh, it's a good place to see what that's all about. Um, and that's been, uh, that's been a good little, uh, good little project. And Naya is now president. Joe is vice president. Uh, and myself and Ram and Rajir are on the board, uh, the voting board. And then, then we have other committees that, uh, that help out and do stuff. But it, it's very hard to, uh, to, to, to get a, an organization like that running when you're, when you're not paying people. It's mm -hmm. all volunteer. And, and a lot of these guys are very busy scientists. So we're all, uh, we're all having to do what we can and pitch in, you know, in our spare time. Uh, and, it, but it's, it's still going and we're, we're making a difference. Uh, I think that one project, the, uh, the, the King Cobra Ecology Conservation Project, one year, I think we relocated like 128 uh, wow. King Cobras. And that wow, Ajay, Ajay Giri over there, uh, he runs that operation. We were able to buy him, you know, transportation, buy a man out of buy him the equipment that they need. Man, $10,000 in India is like having 100000 yeah. bucks here. It goes a long way. You can get a lot accomplished. So... Uh, anyway, that's the status of that that deal there. Sounds like another raffle to me, Phil. Absolutely. <laughs> we did so, one for ASF last year, and it was yeah, it was yeah. Like, you see this ASF? I tell yeah. you what, they're they're, they're great. They're we're, great. We're very big fans. Yeah, they they, they have put together, and B, you know, BTG uh, helped fund the building their uh, their clinic over there. Uh, yeah, they're 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 making a that's what making a difference looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Brandenhoff and that group, I'll tell you what. Yeah, and you know, talking to we had Brent from you know Venom Life Gear on a while back. Yes. And he was explaining yeah. to us just how much, how far the American dollar goes with that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, I think that's yeah. kind of where there's a big disconnect for a lot of those those nonprofits and things like that. Is like you don't realize how much something like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, oh, you know, and up yeah. makes, makes such yeah. a huge difference. And it. Yeah. I mean, even if people donate a buck or five bucks, you know, or, or buy a t-shirt, uh, you know, that we, we make a bunch of our money on our t-shirts and stuff. And we've had a couple grants kick in. Uh, we've had some, a lot of zoos have, uh, have also uh, donated and, but, but, but most of our money is coming from the, just the general folks out there, uh, you know, that, that look and see and want to help. Well, sorry, I had to step away for a second and I had to switch my hat. The other hat just wasn't. Hey, I like here. your hat. I like your hat. <laughs> yeah, thank I got, you. I got, thank I got this you, hat. You, uh, of course, it was pleasures all mine. I, uh, you guys had a, um, uh, on National Snake Day, I think last year, you guys had a big fundraiser thing and I donated to that and I got the hat. So, yeah, great. All right. Well, what else? What else you got? What have we left out? Did you want to mention, I know, so Phil, this is kind of a touchy subject with the whole FWC thing, but, you know, I never even considered the effect it has on, on venom production facilities. Well, well let me tell you, uh, I wrote all of our commissioners a letter, and uh, this is the way I tried to explain it 
with making it just simple understanding. <clears throat> I laid out a pyramid structure, okay? And if you envision in your in your mind a pyramid with a, with a very big base, a foundation of this pyramid is a private collector and the commercial breeders. The people that are licensed are her people. Okay, all of those people going up to the pyramid, the next people in line are the three Venom Labs uh, in Florida. They support us. Okay, and what do we support? We produce venom for pharmaceutical companies, for research, for colleges, uh, for all kinds of other organizations that are doing not just anti-venom work, cancer research, <clears throat> will go be uh, all of these uh, diabetic medicines. They're all derived from snake bite. You're, it's not only all the cardiac and the blood thinners and the clot busters. And, you know, you, you go into a merchant room with a heart attack and they give you a clot buster to save your life. That's a derivative of snake now. So we got all of this going up in, up in a pyramid. And, and then it funnels up to the very top. And guess who's at the very top? The American person, the family, the, the you, the me, the, the, the people. They all benefit from all of this. So when you have this problem where the, the, the FWC is trying to take out the foundation, that's, that's going to affect every person here down the road. Not to mention all of the young minds coming up that go through this and end up in toxinology and end up in medicine and end up in research. All of that gets taken away in Florida. Initially, the drive was to stop this because of, of, of safety. And then when we proved in 2016 that it's not a safety issue, that we can, we can be escape-proof rooms, we can do this, that. Okay, well, now the, the whole reason for this is because the exotic problem. And there is an exotic problem. I mean, my gosh, Phil, you know, we, we got a problem. But getting rid of or making life on the three or 400 licensed people and driving them out of the state so they can go somewhere else to do their, their passion or, or their business, all that's going to do is fuel the black market. The black market's going to stay here. And, and you know, what does a drug dealer do when the cops are outside and he's got 10 pounds of cocaine? He flushes it down a toilet before they come in the front door if he knows exactly. the Exactly. What do you think all these black market snake people are going to let all the snake go? They're not going to kill them or put them in a garbage can. You let them go. Yeah. So my, my whole push was let's look at the unintended consequences of what we're doing. We all realize we have a problem and let's work together to try to fix it. And I will tell you, that after the last commission meeting, the FWC backed up a little bit, and I got to give the commissioners credit. They said, okay, we're going to restudy this one. We're not going to accept all this. We're not going to make it law. So we're in that middle mode now where I'm hoping something will come of that. But in the meantime, you've got Senator Rubio down there now putting in federal laws uh, that, that, that that's adding some teeth to the Lacey Act. I don't know how that's going to affect us. Thank God we got USARC out there that that understands and trying to get in the in front of this. And the, of course, the only way USARC are going to be successful is they can afford to uh, hire the attorneys to fight the battle. So, right. Uh, but so we, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to win this. I think we can delay it, but it's it's definitely. Uh, I mean, Smitty, what what? A, you're pretty free up there where you are, right? As far as laws and licenses and all that. Yeah, I mean, they, I'm in South Carolina, so they recently right. did, uh, like, within the last two or three years, restrictions on native stuff and selling it. 
but it's yeah. it's size regulations. There's no like all out bans on anything except I think right. tag goose maybe I think are, are officially a no go. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know where that's headed, but it's it's here to stay. And um, uh, I just I just hope if we can get the fishing game working with uh, the shareholders, you know, and everybody that's involved in this. Um, and of course, if we, if we on our side, or, uh, I mean, that little massacre that happened, I wrote this letter long before that, that, that was just, that, that was 10 ways, uh, just a big screw up. That should never have yeah. happened. That was horrible. Uh, and maybe that had some effect. Maybe that's what caused them to back up and say, I don't know, you know, so maybe, maybe some good came in that. I don't know. Uh, but going forward, we, we got, we got to get better. We got to get better at it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I feel like the just touching on the venomous in Florida specifically, every few years they just make it more strict and more strict and more strict. And the 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 restrictions that they're putting on us, for the most part, guys like you and me, it's stuff we've been doing for ever. You know what I mean? Right. Escape proof yeah. rooms, sealing things, locked enclosures, bite protocol, yeah. label like we've all like the people that are really into this for the passion, for the love, for the business, whatever it may be, we've already been doing it. It's it's the doing it right. Doing yeah. it right. The it's the fly by night yahoos. But the problem is that when I got my license in oh geez, 2005, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah, 2005, there was right around 480 license holders in the state. Now there's less than 150. Really? It's that, down that low? Yeah, yeah. For the state of license, actual license holders, there's right. way more than that in yeah. terms of keepers, I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, and, oh, yeah. And and it's it's and I imagine this is purely anecdotal. I'm speculating everything. I imagine the majority of it is native stuff. You know, herpers who said, you know, I'll keep a pygmy for a little while. No one will know. That kind of thing. Do right. I condone that? No. Do I think it's asinine that they should go through all these rigmaroles for something like that or excuse me yeah. 1000 hands on hours for Gila monsters come on oh. you know what i mean but i feel like we need to stay the course and we need to keep doing what you're doing and and keep promoting the the safety and keep promoting the 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 good the good handling the good keeping of it so that it doesn't slip away as so many other things have Right. I mean, they have actually told us we don't have a problem. You're, you're going to be fine. Well, no, we're not going to be fine. If you take away this foundation, you take away and you run all the keepers out of Florida. I mean, I can't go to another state and produce coral snake melon. Okay. Right. I need, right. I need the people here. Uh, but I, I can't, I can't get that across that. They just, it, it's like a brick wall. Uh, I guarantee you, I, I never even got a response from any of them back on the letter. Hey, I got your letter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did write the governor. And, and of course, what he said was, we, we have your letter. We forwarded to the Fish and Game Commission. <laughs> of course, of course. So, well, but anyway, I, they I sent I sent multiple letters to Rubio back when he first started this Lacey Act yeah. nonsense. And did you get any, anywhere with it? So there was like a, a window that was an open for a digital forum. There was like a window of like 20 days or whatever. So I sent one at the beginning and then I sent one at the end and I didn't get a response back for probably 90 days. And it wow. was a generic template from yeah. his office saying, yeah. we've received yeah. your letter. You know, uh, 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 Marco feels so strongly about the people in his beloved state, blah, 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 template, template, template. So I just, 
I trashed it. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Did my due diligence to the best I could, you know? I was really hopeful that he was sort of, you know, years ago when he was running, uh, you know, I was like, okay, he seems pretty level headed. He's younger, you know, he's, you know, whatever, but right. And he's, he's even when cigar legislation has come through, Rubio was, was there, you know, opposing it and stuff like that. And so I'm like, I see this kind of stuff and I'm like, what the hell, man? Like you already know sort of what we're like, what we're talking about, where we're coming from. Yeah, I feel like it's super left field for his style. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and it makes you wonder where's the secret agenda? Where, where's the where's the underlining clause? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. why all yeah. of a sudden it, Republican who's pro blue collar? Like, where did yeah. this come from? You know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I really thought uh, DeSantis would step up and uh, maybe try to take a look at what this is going to do to the, bi- the business end of, right. you know, the reptile. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business here in Florida. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's not just the snakes. It's everything that goes in and keeping them. It's all, Absolutely. all apparatus. And, I, and, and, and he's been a, you know, a high talker on small business. And, but um, I, it, somebody got to him with the exotic thing and how it's damaging Florida. And he, and and they've they've it's a simple fix. We just stop this stuff from coming in, and that's right. that's where, right. That's going to be a tough fight. It worked yeah. great for for heroin and you know yeah fentanyl yeah. and yeah. all that other yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely right. Well, hey man, exactly. we got rid of Flocka real quick in Broward. <laughs> <laughs> they, they put it. They sent dudes over to Beijing and they nipped that thing right in the bud. <laughs> but yeah i think that uh, i'm i'm with you and i i feel like if the governor knew how much small business was tied to this in terms of the the feeder breeders you know everything from the the, the ratters who are supplying our rodents for our hobby and the ratters that are supplying the rodents for the pharmaceutical industry the 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 bug producers the oh, cage yeah. makers the, yeah. the the grapevine cutters yeah. you know, or whatever yeah. you want to call oh, them yeah. everything yeah. and it's just they're more concerned with iguanas crapping on their dock you know it just yeah. doesn't make sense so oh well but i'm hopeful i'm i'm, I'm trying to stay glass half full <laughs> so uh now let me ask you uh if we can slip back into corals for a hot second sure. so i keep a small group of atractaspis and I'm trying to keep them uh, stiletto snakes. I'm trying to keep them as naturalistic as possible. And the only other person I know personally that keeps them is Nathaniel. But Nathaniel, as as amazingly helpful as he's been, he's been my my Sherpa on this trip. Um, he keeps them in sterile conditions because he wants to keep their face clean for milking. And right. I was going to ask you. You had mentioned that with the with the fulvius. You've kept them on Cypress and Aspen, and you're soaking them in sphagnum if they got a bad shed. Do you see a similar issue with having their faces stay clean, or is it completely different because they're not stabbing like the stilettos? They're actually biting the vessel. No, no, I don't. Uh, I don't keep them in any kind of substrate that's like a dust. You know, like some some of these corn, the dusty stuff, like okay. actual sand. Um, and and of course, with a stiletto, with a coral. If it was that way and I got it out of that habitat or out of that bedding, I, I could, while I have it, I, I can wipe the face off, but he can't do that with a stiletto. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but, but I've used aspen, I've used all types of cypress mulch, and I've mixed them all together. 
I've used all the beddings you can buy that you soak in it and it unexpands, you know, the coconut. Right, husk right. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and there are several grades of aspen, too. Uh, the, the one that works the best is just I sneeze. It's full of dust. I, you know, it's 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 it's, it's, it's but it works the best. The good cheap uh, stuff. <laughs> the good cheap stuff. But yeah. Um, what do you what do you keep that in? What's the substrate you're keeping it in? So, so with the stilettos, I've got um, a jungle mix, which is a fur bark, yeah. heat, stag, yep. Yep. Um, with some cypress. Good. And then I've got some leaf litter in there. And, and I, I wasn't even so much concerned with how I'm keeping the stilettos. It was more so there's a lot of people listening who can le- legally and legitimately want to keep a coral. What uh-huh. would you recommend to them as far as a substrate and, and the depth of the substrate? And have you kept a lot of them naturalistic? Yes, I've, I've kept them in everything in the, in the jungle mix. The jungle mix is good. Yeah. Um, what the, 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 the best way I kept them when I was feeding them naturally is I would get uh, not cypress mulch, but um, it, it's called no float. It is cypress mulch, no float okay. at Home Depot. Okay. But I, I would mix that up with sphagnum moss that I, that I also bought at Home Depot. And of course, the no float says no insecticides and all that. Right. But right. I will tell you, all of that stuff got it has bugs. It's got yeah. beetles. It's got these other things that don't doesn't won't hurt harm the snake. But you don't want these beetles going from cage to cage either. I mean, I got some right. kind of moth going in the lab now that I'm having <laughs> a hard time getting rid of these tiny little moths that came in. The, the, the little pe- little pale colored ones. Yes. Yes. Oh, everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, uh, yeah, everywhere. Uh, yeah. So uh, the jungle, I would use a jungle mix on a coral and I would keep one, uh, maybe one corner of it, uh, put some sphagnum moss in that corner and keep that a little higher, a little moister, not wet, just, you know, maybe every couple of days hit Damn. it with a mister. That, yeah. That's all. Uh, okay. They don't need a, they don't need a light. They don't need a heat lamp. Um, uh, w- what these guys do is they love to burrow in that. And if you put, uh, I just use like pavers, a piece of paver stone. Mm-hmm. And I'll set it on top of the loose stuff and they will work a little thing under there and they'll stay under there. They come and go. They like to be uh, tight. You know, yeah. uh, I, my big one, I do have a rock, a hide rock and it, it, it loves it. It goes in there because it fills it up and that's its hiding spot. But they, they need a hiding spot. They need the humidity. They are drinkers. They drink all the time. I mean, you have got to keep plenty of water for them. And, you know, they can't go like a crotalid, man. You don't ever want that water to go dry for three or four days. Now that you mentioned that, that's really interesting because we had one at the Nature Center that was that was my first job. We had a coral there. And now that I think about it, that thing was at that water bowl all the time. Yes. they Actually, Harvey Lillywhite, a, a professor up in Gainesville, did a, a study on – he took 10 of them, and he had his students – stay up 24 hours watching these snakes on ships and they were weighing them, you know, uh, at certain periods before they drank it. And he came up and when, when I looked at all of his data, I'm thinking the a key to good venom production with a coral snake, they got to have a lot of water and, and I keep it fresh all the time. Um, cause they, the, the more water they drink and, and that might be some of the problem why some of these other ones died. Um, uh, I mean, he actually said some of those guys were drinking like five and six times a day. Wow. Now they may not drink a lot of volume, but they, they're in there and they're drinking. So 
that's very important with corals. They got to have plenty wow. of water. It's not just humidity. And that 80, uh, they can drop down, you know, at night very comfortably. Uh, if you keep them in an air-conditioned house, you're going to fight the humidity, from them. Yeah. Because, you know, that air, yeah, yeah so, uh, but it, but if you do do that, don't don't have an open top. You know, if it's in a an aquarium or something, maybe just leave a fourth of it open and, and put something over to hold some of that humidity in there. Sure, sure. And now the other thing, too, is... Uh, if you spill the water and it gets in that mulch and it gets a little mildewy, you keep just pick that out, clean that out, and keep that out. Yeah. Of there. But, yeah, have you but ever they noticed, don't. They're not super hard to keep. Have you noticed any kind of I don't want to say water blisters or uh, a skin issue from too much humidity? No. Wow. I have even uh, what I do is I got a couple of trays that I fill up with uh, the sphagnum moss. And I wet it till it's ringing wet, and there's actually maybe an eighth of an inch of water in the bottom. And I put a big, a bit of flat, big flat rock in there, and I give them a water bowl. And if if, if I go through and, and they're having trouble shedding, I'll put them in there. And I have left those guys in that wet water for two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a mistake. No water blister. No nothing. Wow, excellent. No. It's a testament to how very, awesome they very, are. Yeah. Very few skin issues with those guys. The the big problem you'll have if if, if make sure you keep the eye caps off of them, like with a lot of the lapids, because uh, if the eye caps build up and the nasal builds up, it's not good. Are they are they photosensitive, like crepes? Well, let me tell you this: you don't want to go out and do coral snakes at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> they they have a little personality change when it gets dark. They are more uh, they're more they're more agitated. Uh, they I don't know what it is. Uh, fr frankly, if you do them at night, you probably get more venom because they're going to be biting, giving it all they got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they get lethargic. They get they go into a relaxation during the day. Uh, because I do have a light cycle in, in a lab, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I change it. So yeah, I would say they are photosensitive. Cause that's always uh, been my, my thing is I always thought that if I was going to find some, because the Island I live on has one of the biggest populations of corals in the state, but I haven't seen a live one in years. I see them on the road flat as a pancake on a regular basis. And I always thought that if I was going to see them, it would have to be, you know, right after dark, around dark, but anytime my neighbors send me pictures of them in their yard, which is pretty regularly, it's usually late morning before noon. And late morning, late evening is is when we get most of the calls. Mm -hmm. um, we do get them middle of the day too, uh, but but most mo I'd say eighty percent of the spottings are early morning walkers or late late evening. Uh, you know, when it's cooled off. Uh, but I will tell you, if you, if you go out in the lab right now in the dark and, and you shine a light on the racks that are clear, they're moving. They're moving at night. Uh, I don't know if they move all night, but they do a lot or they do a lot of moving at night. And during the day, you go in there and you open it up, they're under. They're not moving. Mm -hmm. They're hiding. Uh have you noticed any movement in correlation to like around me, like I said, I've never found one before, but 
if it rains, you're almost guaranteed yes. to find scarlet snakes. Yes. Yeah. And I imagine yes. it'd be very similar. Like they, they, the rain comes, it stops. Now everything is coated in moisture. The earthworms yeah. start coming out. I imagine. Yeah. That, okay. I, yeah. I, I think they're very active in, in, in a wet rain, not in the middle of the day, but, um, but yeah, I think that would. And the other thing is too, you know, they, the, 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 the best luck I've had breeding is I put them together uh, like in March and April. And I, I would say that probably in the breeding season, the males are going to, they're going to be moving a lot more. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, the, the big, the big chunkos that we get are mostly female. The females are the bigger ones. Uh, and I'll tell you another observation that I had with this colony of, uh, of 50 plus um, last year, like 10 of them all got gravid with infertile eggs never been with another snake since 2012 are these siblings or no 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 these are ones that came in out of the wild but most of them were here they've been here for like since 2012 without being paired up wow well i'm out i did them today and i only got through half of them today and and out of 25 or 30 snakes uh 10 look rabbit wow Hmm. So, and let me tell you, this is not a good thing because when they have the eggs, it takes me, uh, if, if I get a coral snake that comes in here, it's a little thin, within three or four months, I can put weight back and get it back up. Mm-hmm. But when that female lays those eggs, it takes six or seven months to get her weight back up. Wow. It wow. really takes a lot out of them. And uh, so, you know, I talked to Gordon Schuett about this and he, because he does a lot of this stuff. And he said, you know, he said, what I would guess uh, is these snakes are getting at the end of their lifespan and they're trying to procreate themselves. So they're going into this mode. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if I, if if it's all infertile again, or if I get any fertile eggs that long of being, uh, you know, with no mate. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, We noticed that with, with a lot of uh, North American colubrids, specifically Lampropeltis, where you have a, a zoo animal that has never seen another snake for 15 18 years and all yeah. of a sudden it gets gravid with a bunch of obviously infertile eggs and everyone wants to jump to the oh it's parthenogenesis they're going to be fertile and then something happens and it scatters the eggs across the enclosure god forbid they have to be removed manually by the vet and they're all infertile they're all duds but it's it's, it's like yeah, this biologic hail mary yeah we it's like it's like the, the alamo you know like yeah. it's i'm right. at my end here's the al here's the hail mary yeah now i George has had uh, water moccasins that were born here and never paired have babies and they lived. Oh, wow. Not many. Not they, yeah. they wouldn't big clutch. But so there's there's some part of the genesis going on there from sure. You know, we we know it's never been bred. Wow. That's awesome. Very Do you cool. notice any correlation in terms of population density with, with things like uh, you know, legless lizards or tantilla or um, even the only, the only population density that I've experienced is there was an area up in Leesburg and it was, uh, it's, it's like a, uh, like a camp, if you will, a school type uh, rehab organization where they have a bunch of cottages mm-hmm. uh, and motel strips, rooms. Like a, like a Boy Scout camp. 
Well, now I know it's sort of like a, a rehab uh, for people that have had a tough time in life and they go oh, there okay. and they work, but they live there. Okay. And, and all of these little living units are small and they all have the air conditioner. And at the back of all the air conditioners where the water is coming off the drain, um, there was a, a lot of ringnecks and blind snakes. Mm-hmm. And that was a coral snake production place. That guy was calling me about 10 wow. times a year with snakes. And I said, where are you getting them? He said, well, we'll always find them around the air conditioners. They're all right. Hmm. And so I went back there and, and there's, he said, and there's, a, we have a lot of little black ones too. I said, what do you mean? Little, little black ones where they have a, they have this orange ring around their neck. So where the food and the humidity is, that's the only time I, I could correlate uh, a, a lot of them. I think if you get, that's why I think we have a couple lakes around here and these people live on these lakes, a lot of oak trees. And you look around, there's just tons and tons of, of not acres, but a lot large areas of rotten composting oak mm-hmm. trees and limbs and leaves. This coral snake heaven. Wow. Uh, I'll bet you if I went over there with a rake and just wanted to start turning that stuff over. Uh, I mean, one guy over there, uh, one year I got four or five out of there in about a four or five month period. Wow. And then, then he moved, but he, he, he worked in the yard a lot. And I, that's the key too. you know, unless you have somebody that's aware of their surroundings and staying out, being out that most people don't ever see him. Now I will tell you another bizarre thing. This guy called me and he said, I've got this coral snake. Um, and he said, I, I got it in a bucket. <clears throat> Will you come get it? So I went down there and it, uh, it was a female. And he said, well, you know, there's another one around here. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm going to take this same bucket and turn it over sideways and see if I can catch it. And I'm thinking, okay. The next day he called me and I went down there and got a male. So uh, that's the first time I've ever gotten two coral snakes out of this. This guy lived on about a three acre tract and he was back up to a big pond, a lot of oak and shade and the same condition I just told you about. So uh, that was just, you know, never ever do I go back to many places other than the one I just told you about with all the little air conditioned things and this guy, most of the other people uh, that call you once and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Next. I just I ask about the population density thing because in the four years that we've been living in this house, I've seen more legless lizards than I've probably ever really? seen in my life. Um, Tantilla are really common, and it also happens that in this like particular neighborhood that I'm in, you know, that's my neighbors around the corner are seeing a ton of gulls right. and stuff. And so I'm wondering if there's sort of a direct correlation there. I think there could be. I don't know that, but I really think there could be, yes. With what I've seen around the the lake beds and this other deal, I think if they've got enough. And let me tell you, what happened up there is every year they got smaller and smaller. And so when they got to be, they're calling me with 12, I'm telling them let them go. And the, the good thing about that guy, he lets them go. Because I, I helped them out a little bit, you know, you can't buy them, but, you know, I, I can help them with their, they, they have cookouts for their kids and stuff. And, you know, we'd make a little donation to help, help that. And, 
and then he helps me in return. So sure, sure. Yeah, my neighbors are terrified of these things. Oh, and it's it's verified sightings. Like they send me pictures. I'm like, because normally when someone says they see a coral snake, I'm like, no, you didn't. But they send me pictures, and it is 110 percent corals. Work, try to work on them and explain to them how you know innoxious they are and how how gentle they are, and uh, and unless they step on it barefoot or in a flip flop or they pick it up, they're not going to get bit. Yeah. I've gone out and gotten a coral snakes from kids. They brought them in a the house and put them in an aquarium. Told their parents they were rat snakes. And kids keeping a coral snake. You go over there. He's got this coral snake, two foot coral snake. He just, you know, just handling it like like it's a, a boa or, or a red rat. Wow. I mean, they just don't want to bite you. They want to yeah. bite the venom guy because he's grabbing them. Right, but, of course. But, uh, they're just uh, and, and and I'm speaking from thousands of encounters, not ten. Right. Thousands. Right. This is thousands. You know probably over 10,000. And, and I can tell you that, you know, my two partners, uh, both George and Carl will tell you the same thing. And they've done as many or more than me. Uh, and they don't ever have uh, a problem with them either. They're just yeah. uh, very gentle. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to what you were saying about the guy with the air conditioner who had the all black or melanistic, or whatever you want to call it. Do you run into a lot of apparently patterned stuff or melanistic no, stuff? No, 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 no. Those those snakes that he was uh, describing are ringnecks. Oh, oh, that no, okay. that no, the food source. No, I have never, I have never come across or have had a melanistic or any oddball coral snake in here. Yeah, because I. People send me all the time. They're in the the different herp ID groups and stuff, and you see a lot of the same snake picture floating around, yes, very unique yes, with the yeah. crazy uh, aberrant pattern with the blotches. But I feel like more and more, maybe it's because we have cell phones, supercomputers yeah. in our pocket, and people are snapping right. it more often. But I feel like we're seeing more aberrant pattern stuff. Now the pattern changes that I see are the the width of the bands can be different, yeah. and right. then uh, and and also the colors can be very brilliant or very faded um and also you can have a lot a lot of black in the red you know every scale in the red can have a black dot on it i've seen a few i've got one right now where the band doesn't go all the way around the belly one band uh has a big circle in it missing color oh wow so uh and i'll tell you another interesting thing i have one come in and um it was it had a pretty bad gash on it so I went in and sewed it up and, and um, he did fine and he healed up and that scar had no color. And in about two years, that scar, those colors came back in the scar. Wow. Yeah. The, the, the color got pigment and, and the right color, the right wow. color. Uh, That's incredible. The, the, the big one I've got, the female, the 49 inch, she came in with a weed eater and all cut up. I had to take two couple ribs out and trim it out. Mm. So she's, she's got, a scar on her, but it's more on the belly. It's not, a, it's not, and the color never came back on her. Wow. So I don't, I don't know. I can't explain that. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have particular animals in your group that are considerably more untrustworthy than others? I have a couple of corals that are uh, like, like a, they're, they're like a squirrel on crack. They're crazy. And uh, I don't know if it's a neurological dysfunction, but uh, you, as soon as you touch them, you can be gentle and you can try to get them out. 
they just flip and go berserk. Uh, they're so bad that I've considered either releasing them uh, or continue to keep doing them in a tube. And uh, well, what I do with those guys is I put them on a kitchen table and I have a tube uh, behind a piece of wood that's mm -hmm. along a back ledge that's got a little wooden wall. And I coax them into the clear tube and then I grab them that way and then I back them out of the tube because you can't grab those guys like you. They're, they're just, they're just, and it, it's almost like they got a, a neurological problem. Spastic would be a good explanation mm -hmm. or a good description, but just spastic. Do you think it's uh, got, something to do with like a, a stress-induced seizure maybe, or is it just defensive? I don't know. They were that way when they came in and they've never changed. Okay. Now, and uh, also, I will tell you that uh, every now and again, one will overbite on the flask, and the thing that goes in the dam material will eject venom. The other one won't. And oh. here's something here's something that I can't explain. Now, keep in mind, we have gone from periods where I've had 100, 120, doing them every five days in, in the early months, to, and we lost a lot. Uh, but But if you want to take right now about a 20 day, 21 day average of doing maybe 75 total, um, that goes from 50 to hundred doing this about three or four times a year, I'll have a coral snake that loses its fangs and it's not associated with a shed cycle. It bites a vial slide right off. There's, There's nothing no there. Fangs. And it didn't just shed. It's not going into shed. And then the next time around, boom, they're there. So I don't know if uh, you, you would think if it was prevalent and there was a period in time where they were shedding, where there was a few days where they didn't drop the other ones down, I would see it more than that, but I don't. Uh, and I'm George and Carl have experienced something similar to that, too. We've, we've all three seen that, this, this, and we don't, we don't know what it's about. Yeah, it's, it's it almost sounds like they they have so much use per tooth and yeah. like it the tooth got dull, you know, so they the knife the kitchen knife got dull, so instead of, you know, sharpening right. it, you just throw away and pop right. out another kitchen knife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the other thing is uh, the bio we use as a 50 milliliter plastic centrifuge tube, it's plastic. And there's been on occasion uh, where I've had them bite the side of the vial, and those fangs are sure sharp. They impale the plastic. Oh, wow. they don't they don't slide off. They they boom. They 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 can nail that plastic. So they're very sharp little fangs. They're just very very short. Any clothing is going to probably give you about ninety percent protection. And hmm. any kind of really? clothing, yeah. Wow, very interesting. Make uh, sure I'm wearing uh, my pantyhose next time then. Of the the majority of bites that were had a lot of backstory to them, a lot of verifiable backstory, were they legitimate punctures or was it more of a scratch like a mamba bite? No, it's punctures because okay. uh, what happens with, with after that bite after an hour or two, it's you almost can't see the the puncture. Oh wow! It's so it's that small. Uh, it doesn't get red. It doesn't get black. It doesn't show up. Um, the, the babies, uh, the babies were a learning experience. There, there's, I did have a couple of accidents early on with those guys, because if you hold them too tight while you're pushing down the tube, they're, you, you'll kill them. 
So you really got to almost not have any pressure on the body while you're, you're putting the tube down into the stomach. And uh, those, I, those, I will tell you, babies for the first three months, they want to bite you. They're different. I believe they want to bite you. They are so defensive. Uh, you can't, you can't handle them like you handle the adults. You will get bitten. And if you give them any leeway while you're trying to put that tube in there and you relax just a little bit, they can turn that little head and put a fat, get one thing in you, boom, like that. And what you'll see is it'll blub up and it'll bleed. And then after a couple of hours, you're, you're saying, man, it's, it's hurting and you can feel it, but you can't see the fang puncture. And, a lot, and that's the case with a lot of them that, that are brought in. You can't see the fang puncture. Mm-hmm. So, well, that was one of the things, too, when we first had you on THP was that I had always heard that coral snake bites, for the most part, were, were pretty much painless. But you had explained that that's not always the case. Well, if you read the case histories, there was one where a young boy in Central uh, Gainesville area in the 60s, where it was one of the fatalities, one of the very few fatalities. And he was bitten and he went in and told his mom, I, I got bit. And she looked and there was no pain and no nothing. And an hour 18, he died. And so then you read cases where these bites are, it can be painless. Well, I've had one, two, I've had four in 50 years. My partners have had bites. Every single one of our bites has been extremely painful. It hurts. No. Uh, we've not had, and, and by the way, two of my bites from the babies that hurt like heck were very minute amount at one thing. So you're talking uh, maybe 0.16 milligrams, hardly no venom, but enough to have pain. And when you don't have antivenom and you ride it out, here's what happens. After about six or seven days, the pain gets less, less, less. And the swelling, it does swell. I swelled all the way to the wrist. Uh, swelling resides. No, no local damage. But then all of a sudden, you go through a period of days where it's numb. It like kills. It's like a deadening. Uh, there's something in the venom that kills the nerves. The finger was numb to touch for a good week, week and a half. And then it came back. So uh, I'm sure with anti-venom, a lot of that is uh, negated and neutralized. But uh, the venom itself is very interesting. And there's, there's work they're doing work on Alzheimer's with it now. Uh, looking at some of the activity with it, and um, and and it's definitely got some pain attributes too that could be left out. The problem with this venom is when you're doing that with cobra venom, or, you know you got a lot of volume, a lot of it's easy to get. Right. Uh, and so researchers don't want to pay this enormous amount of what we got to get to sell the venom. You know, it's you can sell rattlesnake venom for two, three, four hundred bucks a gram. Coral snake venom's thousands of dollars a gram. Right. My God, it takes 125 coral snake bites to equal one rattlesnake bite. <laughs> yeah. That's round figures, but that's about mm -hmm. it. Wow. Now, just going back to bites real quick, the on on that neonate bite that was no antivenom was received, was there any kind of renal issues at all? Any kind of renal issues? Yeah. N no renal issues. Okay. No, no uh ptosis. What, what, what I did is I uh, every couple hours I'd go to the mirror and I'd open my mouth and raise my tongue up and down, left and right. The first time you do that and your tongue goes another way, 
then then I would have gone in and gotten an of them. But yeah, I mean, here we are going through this process. This was, you know, I don't want to be using the only antivenom that was available at that time when if a right. kid gets bit. I mean, so sure, sure, uh, right. De- definitely don't want to use it if you don't need it. And right. I haven't experienced many bites over the 55 years. You kind of know your body and you kind of know uh, at what point you need to go. Sure. Uh, that's nothing I would recommend to anybody. Because, no, no, of course not. Of course know, not. Uh, the, the, the other thing is, keep in mind, uh, I'm looking at the snake. I know the size. I know the uh, potential output it could give me worst case scenario. And that's the same thing with any of the snakes we handle. We, we get a feel for uh, you. Boy, if you get a bite and you get that metallic taste within seconds, you just put the snake away and you got to get in. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. wrong. It's going to yeah. be a bad one. <laughs> Is wow. there is there documentation as far as like demographics of of the bites? Uh, is it mostly kids? It's mostly males, and it mostly involves alcohol. I will yeah. tell you that. <laughs> uh, but there's there there's I don't know the number. There are quite a few kids uh, that that are bitten, um, probably because they see it and it's it yeah. looks pretty and uh, and, and like, the, the kids like are the, the iPods. Yeah, it's like it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh man! Tide pod with teeth. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Oh. Wow, it's incredible. One last thing, I guess, unless Phil had something else. No, no. We, we uh, there's there's one other thing, but ask your question. I was going to ask. So, being a half-ass diabetic, uh, and this is something that if we ever got Leslie Boyer on, I wanted to ask. You know, pick her brain about it too. But like, we all know that. <clears throat> You know, heart conditions and things like that are definitely major factors when it comes to snake bite. But things like diabetes, how do those affect snake bite in general? Not necessarily just with with fulvius or or any other microris, but overall. Well, not being a physician, I'm not qualified to answer that question. But I'll I'll give you my uh, my rationale to that. Uh, Spencer would be a good one, or Leslie would be a, a great one to uh, address that. <clears throat> Most of the problems that we see with envenomations here in the United States has to do with blood clotting or not clotting. Mm-hmm. And very, very few of the, the venom proteins, I don't think, are going to cause you uh, to have a sugar issue. Like uh, the labs you want to look at in general are platelets because, you know, they run at 150 to 450,000, 150K to 450. If you get below 100, if you get down in that 50, well, you know, you could bleed out. Yeah, now you're in a thrombocytopenia range and that comes in varying degrees. I don't know if that would affect your sugar. I don't think so. The other thing they're going to look at is fibrinogen and prothrombin, prothrombin and INR levels to see what the clotting factors are like. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all about that. They don't, nobody's looking at, your sugar level, I don't believe. Um, in fact, they even quit doing D-dimer. Uh, so I, I don't know that diabetes would be um, as much of a, a problem as would be if you were on Eliquis or a blood thinner right, or you, right. have, you, know, you, you had that kind of issue. Oh, yeah. Because that's going to create a problem now trying to interpret the labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the diabetes question would be a good one to ask Spencer or Leslie in particular. First thing I think of is circulation issues in the extremities, you know, mostly the, the feet. Well, well like now that. it depends. You know, if you're just diabetic by number, that's one thing. If you've got di- 
if you got neuropathy and you and you do have swelling and you get bitten in the leg, yeah, you're going to have a lot. You're going to have lymphatic problems. That's going to add to. It's not going to change what they do. Right. But what it could change is you could end up with some uh, damage, permanent damage uh, that uh, uh, somebody that didn't have that problem wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if you if you're diabetic to a point where your your legs are swelling and you're having those issues, um, that's not good. That's a comor- comorbidity yeah. Yeah. that's going to complicate. You want a really good a good physician on on your side when that's being done. So now if, if someone is a active Coumadin user, you know, they're on thinners, what, what could you recommend to them to uh, speak to their physician or speak to the ER doctors and say, Hey, you know, I'm on Coumadin. This is going to make it even worse. You know? Well, keep in mind here when they pull those labs and the, the, and, and the labs get out of whack. The treatment is more antiviral, more okay. antiviral, more. I mean, for example, if your platelets fall with a snake bite, the treatment's not a blood transfusion or blood. That's not going to bring your platelets up right. because that venom's going to eat that new blood, going to eat them new platelets up just like the old. Oh, yeah. So it's so so while they're giving you more antivenom. Uh, it's like this young man that just had this pulmonary embolism. So, so he's now they got to start giving him blood thinners after a water moxin bite for the pulmonary embolism. So the, the point is they got to watch those labs very carefully and keep them in the range where they don't get in trouble. Yeah. It's going, it's going to affect how they treat the bite and whether they put some anticoagulant on you uh, because now you got both, you've been on Coumadin and your blood's thin. Now we're dumping all this venom in there. It's going to thin it even more. There's, you know, there's eight, I think eight clotting factors. They're very complicated wow. and different, different clotting factors work different. Um, and, and so a, a good ER physician is going to know how to treat them. Okay. See, that's, I have so many questions in that, in that arena because, you know, my wife has, uh, something like with her factor five where she, she, in the past she's had clotting issues, whether it's too much or too little, I can't remember, but stuff like that, you know, that's stuff that I definitely would want to ask Leslie or, or Spencer. It's just, there's so many questions. Well, I'll tell you the, the most important thing you want to disclose or tell when you're, when you've been bitten is, Hey, I, here's my health issues. I've got yeah. this, this, and this, and these are the medications I'm taking. And they're going to want to know when, when was the last time you took this and this and this. The, the, the biggest, not problem, but the biggest mistake that has long lasting damage that we are, that we see and we discourage is the, when, when you take an ER doctor, he's used to treating car accidents. He's used to yeah. treating trauma. Yeah. And when people come in and they get swelling, they get compartmental pressure issues. Okay. Okay. The fasciotomy has a, a place in that to save the muscle. The snake bite imitates that. And to them, they think there's a compartmental pressure problem. So they want to do a fasciotomy. And, and you will, every good snake bite physician that's treated a lot of bites will say 98% of the time, maybe not, you don't need to do a fasciotomy. Give more right. antivenom. Give more antivenom. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you would think by now that word spread around. It's not. And let me, 
the, the reality of the problem is this. Uh, you're a private keeper. You've got your own antivenom. You've got a protocol. You've been in an emergency room and you've talked to the doctors. Well, guess what? Every six months, every three months, every year, that whole emergency room's got new doctors. Most of the emergency room contracts out their ER doctors. They don't stay there. And it's right. like yeah. what, you, what, you, what you went through and got working and have this uh, developed this relationship last month next month may be all new people yeah it's 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 a it's frustrating we still have that problem here <laughs> mm. uh if, if we go in and one of the dogs that know us and and has treated a bite we're in good shape if so, some of them you know someone want to do they'll point a chopper and send you they want to transport you and send you right up to the trauma center not even give you an animal on site I Crazy. mean, you know, they should stabilize you and give you the antivenom, and when you're stable, then transport. But, right. So uh, now, one I of guess. us, Carl, Carl um, has has a tremendous relationship up there in the land with his facility, um, and he had a long-term uh, ER guy there and, and that ran ER, and uh, he has since retired. So Carl's starting to experience some of that. You know, it takes a lot of effort to keep those people plugged in, invite them out, you know, and, and stay in touch with them uh, because his, his dilemma is usually going to be an exotic thing. Which, sure. You know, but that's, you know, a lot of the keepers out there, they got the same issue. You know, <clears throat> fortunately, we here in Florida have, we have three, you know, we got three uh, antivenom banks. Two are very active. There's one in the Tampa area, Brooksville area, uh, Venom 2, Joe Kiefer runs, and of course, Venom 1 that's down there uh, in Miami is fantastic. And actually Joe Kiefer's Venom 3. Venom 2 was up around the villages and Ben, ben Abo uh, got that going, uh, but they don't do exotics. They were just going to stock uh, coral snake, anti-venom and crofab. But you'll see the hospitals, they won't take the anti-venom. They want to transport. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's just, that's just their, uh, that's the way they do it. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot in the, the private sector when it comes to bites is I think people have this idyllic idea, like well, this idyllic vision that they'll be conscious to the point to where they get to the, the hospital, which I'm sure most yeah. of the time they would be. I'll drive like, myself, you know, I'll drive myself. Yeah. I'll be there to tell the doctor what's going on. I'll be there to explain to the doctor what bit me and he'll be able to take my word for it. And you know, give me this random drug that I brought with me if I had it. Exactly. And it's then, expired. Like just the whole thing. It's like the the nightmare doesn't just stop as soon as you walk through the hospital doors. You know, it's like the, no, no, have, no, it doesn't. If you have a doctor that, that is really high on their own supply and knows better than you do, no matter what you tell them, then like that's another entire issue in itself. And so it's like there's so many other factors that go into that. Uh, because I, I know there's people that get venomous and stuff, and it's always like, well, if I get bit, I'll just go to the hospital. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything's good. <laughs> like, anything's going to happen. Like, you know what? Be better. Here's what here's what works better for uh, for our situation. There's three poison control centers in Florida: one in Miami, one in Tampa, one in Jacksonville. Okay, uh, I know the people in Tampa that would handle my bites. Uh, they come over here, uh, they bring their, their interns, and we have a great relationship, and they are extremely anti-venom savvy, both local and exotic. So when 
people call me and they're they're heading in. Uh, I got bit. My son got bit. My neighbor got bit. The last person that doctor wants to talk to is me. I'm a civilian. I'm I'm not a doctor. Okay, yeah. I'm a venom guy. Now, some of them that know me will have a conversation and give a little support, and it'll go. But most of them will not even take a consult. I'll say, hey, I can put you in touch with two or three other physicians that have treated hundreds of snake bites. Would you please consult with them? No. Okay. I tell a family, insist that that doctor call a poison control center for consultation. And that should work good for you, Phil. Is yeah. You get that poison control center in Miami, talking to that doctor, and have your wife or your family make sure that happens, that then you will have a great, the greatest ally you can get. Uh, I know Miami's good. I know Tampa's good. I don't know that much about Jacksonville. Um, I, I would think that they would be okay, but uh, that that works for us now, uh, Smitty. Up where you are, do you have a poison control center that you're familiar with, or I don't. Okay, well, well, there is one. Um, they're they're all over the United States, and right. uh, you know, they, most like in Florida, it's all the same number one. I forget the eight hundred number, but it knows where you're calling from, so it routes you to the right one. Uh, like if you're in a Jacksonville area and dial that same 800 number, you're going to go to the Jacksonville one or Miami. Yeah. Same. And Miami, that's where all our antivenom is down there at the at fire department there with, uh, with Rusty and Chris. And they, they do a great job. And we're very fortunate from an exotic antivenom standpoint that they're still going. They're still being funded. Yeah. Yeah. God, imagine the calls that the Poison Control Center people get. Just in well, general. Yeah, uh, and I talk, you know, talk about Tide Pods. <laughs> I just drank a bottle of shampoo and I don't feel good. Help! Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man. Okay. Oh. Well, gentlemen, is there anything else you want to touch base on? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Just about got it all. All right. Well, enjoyed chatting with you two. Uh, it's been, been hell a of a show, fun. sir. Uh, I hope it. A little bit of maybe some people learned a little bit here and there. Uh, we still oh, have absolutely. a lot. We have so much, so much left to learn. You, oh, yeah. you know, the one thing that's constant with everything I've done with snakes and venoms is every time it, you reach a point and you really feel like you're gaining and you're learning, you 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 wake up and you enter into another day and you realize how much you don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, because oh, yeah. one thing about science is it never remains constant. And every every time we learn a little more, and I go back 30, 40 years ago, and I'm thinking, I mean, snake venom was so simple. Uh, it was, you know, and now I look at where we are today. All these recombinant things where they're putting synthetics together and uh, taking uh, snake venom uh, glands out. And actually growing the venom gland to make venom. Uh, I mean, this is pine. It's, it's working. It, of course, it has to cross over that monetary. Uh, is it going to be right. too expensive to do? But, boy, the go to a venom week. Have you guys ever been to a venom week? No, I want no. to. Yeah. It, it, it's almost never in Florida, but one year it was in Gainesville. Next year, I think it's going to be in North Carolina. Oh, but, see, that's uh, doable for me because Charlotte ain't doable for you. Drive. Raleigh ain't that far of a drive. Now, see, you, forgive you, me, but isn't it invite only? I no, heard, no, okay. no. 
when it started, it was a small group, a lot of physicians that uh, were treating snake bite. And then it got into some zoo people and some venom people. And then over the period of years, it's gotten into, they're bringing vets in doing presentations and they're, they're, they're opening up anybody and anybody that wants to learn. No, they don't. Uh, they used to, but what happens is a lot of the people that are presenting papers there, they haven't published them yet okay. and they don't want them to get out. Right. Uh, but but uh, if, if you went online and looked at it, pull the agenda, it's a four day and you could look at the agenda and figure out whether I want to go the whole four days or I just want to go, you know, day one and three or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but the topics will blow your mind. Yeah. Wow. It, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Uh, awesome. There's one going to happen here next week in Rodeo, New Mexico. Uh, it's, it's actually the old biology of pit vipers. Uh, and that's and that's the uh, that's the forum, but they're going to be discussing uh, venom and snake bites for the whole. It looks like the whole four days. Wow! And they got some really tr- tr- tremendous speakers. Awesome! Awesome! Yeah. yeah I'll have to check the uh, check the calendar and see when that if it is happening yeah. in North Carolina. You know, it's definitely going to be on my. Just, my just uh, Google Venom Week 2024. Okay. Excellent. It's been out yeah. west the last couple of years, hasn't it? I think it was in Colorado. Last last year, last one was in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's been in Colorado. It's been in Hawaii. Uh, it's been in Omaha. It's been in Texas. <clears throat> they try to move it around. Yeah. Ne- never been in Orlando. Never been in Miami. East Coast <clears throat> doesn't get enough love. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Jack, thank you so much, sir, for coming okay. on. This was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Phil, Smitty, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. You guys have a great week. Okay. Thank you. You too, sir. Thanks so much. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by FullVisaApparel.com. It's right here on my man titties. Come on. FullVisaApparel on Facebook. FullVisaApparel on Instagram. FullVisaApparel. Uh, use the code send it at checkout get free shipping if you are in the u.s now until the end of the month uh and then blackboxcages.com another code to use at checkout thn save yourself some money shipping's expensive anywhere you go this will help you out a little bit you know it's not gonna be a ton it's not half off or anything crazy like that but it's better than nothing yeah, and you will not be disappointed with a rack or cage that you get from them, without a doubt. I guarantee it. You will not be unhappy with it. Not only does Smitty guarantee it, I will also guarantee it. I guarantee that you'll enjoy it. Like if if you get it, and for whatever reason you aren't happy with it, there's nothing I can do for you. But there, <laughs> there's no reason that you shouldn't be unhappy with it because they're so right. awesome. Exactly. Uh, and then. Also awesome are the awesome people up in the Pacific Northwest, Jeff and Kendra at Puget Sound Pythons. Give them a follow on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, THP this week, I think, I guess. I don't, that and Dr. Jake, I need to find out. Nice. But it was a great show. Always really enjoy talking to Jack. Um, again, one of the people in, in this hobby or industry whatever you want to call it field that i just have nothing but respect for um and he's working with the 
coolest of lapids the U.S. has to offer. So, very true. <sighs> if I could only find one alive now, that'd be. I know, right? I just want to close this laptop and just get in the car and go find one. And I know it's not going to happen. This will probably summon them to be at my neighbor's house for the next week and I'll get pictures saying look I found another one and I'll just send them the middle finger emoji well good poor old Marianne just be like look lady I know you care about your dogs I like your dogs too your dogs are going to be safe why do you send this picture to me three hours after you've seen it or while I'm at work where I can do nothing about it yeah right killing me uh, such is life but, I mean, fortunately, just like the, the folks that called me for that copperhead, you know, the weekend before last, they're, uh, a lot of them are, are nature people, so they understand that, you know, they're not, they're not people to grab the shovel. Yeah. You know, like, they're, they understand that there's copperheads and there's things that can potentially hurt them, but I think they also fully understand that, you know, the likelihood of something happening is very slim. And I think a lot of them are just concerned that if they're out walking the dog at night or something, which a lot of them do, um, you know, it just, I don't live. Oh, I live too far from the water. The water's like not even a half a mile that direction. I, the same neighbors that are seeing the coral snakes live on the water, salt water on the marsh right there. It doesn't make any sense. On the marsh. Yeah. They got their docks and their boats and their elevators in their house. <sighs> Anyways, it's a great episode. Great episode. Thank you all. We'll see you later. Bye.